Hello, and welcome to the Facts and Fury podcast. I am your host, Bill Kuhn. If you don't know, this is a podcast about politics. Specifically, it is about the modern Republican Party, particularly its leadership and the destruction that they've visited on our democracy over the last four decades. They have wreaked havoc on Washington and consequently on our lives as well. Look, if you care about a well-functioning government, you should care that the GOP is trying their best to destroy it. Now, I don't mean they are literally burning the place down like Pablo Escobar did to that courthouse in Colombia. No, what they're trying to do is they're trying to render it limp and ineffective, sort of like when you overcook pasta. Though, given what happened on January 6th, the Escobar analogy is actually not that far off. On today's episode, I'm going to discuss three things. The first thing is what this podcast is about and how it's structured. A lot of the material that I use is based on my upcoming book to be published on Memorial Day of this year. So check it out. Please pick up a copy. And it's effectively how the Republican Party has been quietly destroying our democracy over the last 40 years. Number two, I'm going to discuss how Trump, right-wing media, and Republicans have intentionally hijacked our attention in order to distract us from the point that I just mentioned and push through a wildly unpopular agenda. And number three, I'll discuss, which is very different from other political podcasts and podcasts in general, is what we can do to reclaim our focus. I'll discuss data-driven learning strategies so that you can remember more of what you listen to and be more conscious and deliberate with your media choices. Okay, so let's dive in. As we remember, in February 2021, last year, after inciting the coup attempt on January 6th near the Capitol where five people died, President Trump went on trial in the United States Senate, not for the first time, but for the second time for impeachment. And thanks to his Republican minions in the Senate, because that's what they are, he was acquitted for a second time, despite overwhelming evidence of his guilt. Now, that alone is outrageous, but there's so much more. Do you remember when that group of right-wing Rambos, not long before January 6th, hatched a detailed plan to kidnap and murder the governors of Michigan, Virginia, uh, and Ohio? A plan that was so thorough and crazy it even included decoy strategies and pipe bombs, and they nearly carried it out. You'd be forgiven for thinking that we lived in some sort of developing country in the middle of a civil war. Not to mention the fact that as I sit here, we are living through a pandemic, which until very recently killed more than 4,000 people every day. And yet here we are fighting over basic health protections like vaccines, and mask wearing. You know, if it weren't so fucking sad, it would be comedic, right? Like an episode or a movie from Mike Judge. Actually, Idiocracy hits too close to home. Even after the January 6th insurrection, during which their own lives and staff's lives were at risk 
from these rabbit Trumpists with zip ties and nooses. More than 150 of them, congressional Republicans, officially objected to the Electoral College results of the election, which had been certified by each of the states and their attorneys general. An entire party effectively disregarding our elections process and the will of the voters while being threatened by maniacs with MAGA flags. I mean, talk about the tail wagging the dog here. This is a day that will truly live in infamy. But I don't want to harp so much on January 6th because you're most likely very familiar with that day. But we remember this day well because, well, how could we not? The graveness of the attack and the images that have accompanied it are unforgettable. It's a, it was a direct attack on our democracy and on the Capitol, and not since the War of 1812 have we seen such an event. I mean, Confederate flags were being paraded through the hallways. That, that didn't even happen during the Civil War. Not to mention the fact that the investigation that has sprung from it has brought charges against some 700-plus people, ranging from trespassing to assault to conspiracy disrupt an election to sedition most recently. More crucially, this event and its fallout has been replaying in the news over and over and over again. It's, it's impossible to forget, even if you tried. But consider this point. During an average week, we can't remember 95% of the things that we've heard on the news, on podcasts, read in magazines. Think of all the outrageous, newsworthy stuff, right, that Trump and his GOP lapdogs have pulled off and that have completely disappeared from our memory. We don't have the capacity to remember all this stuff, unless you have a photographic memory, that is. And the GOP, they love this. They do this purposely, and they exploit it really well. Their strategy has been to create so much noise and chaos that we, the public, are so overwhelmed. And as a result, we can't recall what happened last week or even yesterday. You remember Steve Bannon, Trump's former advisor? Well, he described this tactic exactly. He said, quote, we have to flood the zone with shit. We have to stink up the joint. This is not about persuasion. This is about disorientation, end quote. One of my favorite authors, Jonathan Rausch, described this as, quote, epistemic warfare, the war of knowledge and information. And it's played out over and over on the airwaves and on social media platforms with the idea of manipulating our media environment for political gain and carries the specific intent to divide, dominate, disorient, and ultimately demoralize your political opponent. This kind of maneuvering, as we know, if you've picked up a history book, is nothing new. It's gone on for centuries. Vladimir Lenin, Joseph Stalin, they were both really good at it. The National Socialists of Germany, they were even better. They managed to exploit our cognitive vulnerabilities by attacking the media and the experts and trolling people, us, who cared about 
society's moral compass. Now, this, this idea of trolling in particular hijacks our attention and distracts us from our critical priorities, like, you know, formulating a public health response to a deadly virus or organizing resources to neutralize the effects of climate change, you know, those important things. The perpetrators, the trollers, they grab our attention and they pin it to the thing that they want, like the effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine debated over and over again in the news. It is very difficult to ignore the trolls and their bait because we feel as proud human beings that we have to defend our beliefs. You know, we say to ourselves, I can't let that go unanswered. Otherwise, I'd be approving of this. I have to fight back. Another similar technique they employ is known as the fire hose of outrage and falsehoods. Foof, for short. Trump and the GOP turn on the fire hose of outrage and falsehoods every minute of every day through several right-wing media channels. And I'm sure at this point that you've noticed there's some new offensive comments, exaggeration, lie, conspiracy theory in the news every day. Trump and his team, they do this on purpose to disorient us. If there was a negative news story about his administration, he then would tweet something insane like, Israel should ban liberal Democrats from having visas or something like that. And then can't you picture him turning to his aides and saying that should keep him busy for a day or two. Lo and behold, the news cycle picked it up and it was all we heard for the better part of a week. There were so many outrageous statements that he made that we, we barely remember 99% of them. This is, attention hijacking at its finest. Of all the people who knew how to hijack attention, Hitler did it better than anyone. In Mein Kampf, his seminal book, he wrote, quote, who cares whether they laugh at us or insult us, treating us as fools or criminals? The point is that they talk about us and constantly think about us. Can't you see Trump giving a pep talk with those words exactly to the to his GOP. I mean, can't you picture that? Drinking bleach, windmills causing cancer, sleepy Joe. I mean, it's right out of this playbook. Do you remember when Trump said something like the Ukraine might have hijacked the Democratic servers? Maybe it was Russia. Maybe no one hacked it. Maybe it was a 400-pound guy on a sofa somewhere in Australia. This creates a state of confusion and disorientation and cynicism. People don't know what to believe anymore. And when they don't know what to believe, that's when a dictator comes along or a demagogue, someone like Trump, and says, you know, you can believe me or you can believe in me because you can't believe anyone else. Now, don't get me wrong. Trump had a lot of help from conservative media. Originally, if you remember, they weren't on this page. They were mostly against him, but they eventually got there, obviously. Republican politicians, they discovered that they couldn't really resist this stuff either. But again, they weren't really inclined to try. They quickly learned that 
they also benefited from the misinformation. And then they joined in on the effort, full throttle. Disinformation, remember, is a participatory sport, not a spectator sport. They were wagged by the extreme elements of their base. When the base invents a new conspiracy theory like QAnon or drinking bleach prevents COVID, no one in leadership or right-wing media challenges it. On the contrary, they support it, and then they keep inventing new stuff. The party has completely lost its grip on reality, and that's become a strategic advantage. Distract, distract, distract. Point blank, it is a shit show. And we need to be cognizant of this. In order to steal our minds, I love that phrase, in order to steal our minds against the dangerous propaganda effort, we have to first recognize what is going on. If we can remember what they're doing and why they're doing it, it becomes easier to spot and to elude. If I had to sum up my advice in one sentence, it would be, don't feed the trolls. Their effort is successful only because we give it our attention and our reaction. It helps to stay focused on what's important, like canvassing, volunteering, persuading, and learning as much as we can about this moment and how we got here. That requires learning about the modern history of the Republican Party. You will see that their strategy has always been to distract the public in order to seize power and push through a really unpopular agenda. They've built an entire industry around it so they can fulfill these goals. They publish tons of books and take to the airwaves with talk shows, with an easy-to-understand format, but, of course, alternatively factual. Think of all the podcasts and the talk radios, the millions of copies of books written by such intellectually stunted and blatantly dishonest authors as Donald Trump Jr., Dan Bongino, Sarah Palin, Mark Levin, Rush Limbaugh, Dinesh D'Souza, etc. What all these provocateurs have taught us is that anger and outrage really do sell. Now, Getting back to January 6th, many have pointed the finger at Donald Trump for orchestrating not only January 6th, but this misinformation effort more broadly. And I mean, how could you not, right? Every other word that comes out of the guy's mouth is how the election was stolen. And in his four years in office, he stoked so much hatred and violence among his supporters and labeled anyone he didn't like or agree with an enemy of America. Without a shadow of a doubt, he has been the primary contributor to our pol polarized predicament. As a result of his incessant propaganda, the institutions of our democracy are that much weaker and public trust in government is that much worse than it was five years ago. But you have to understand that Trump is only the gallon or two of gasoline poured on a conflagration that's been burning for over 40 years. Congressional and presidential Republican leadership have trampled all over our nation's capital. As the renowned conservative scholar Norm Ornstein puts it, quote, the Republicans waged war, waged a three-decade war on government, and they got Trump. So, in this podcast, 
I won't mention Trump that much. I know. I've already mentioned him a lot, but I mean going forward. Because we all know what a colossal failure he was. Let's save our outrage for the conditions that allowed him to take power. Like how voters were effectively conditioned through decades of corruption, fear-mongering, and destructive policy to put a guy like him up as a candidate. How was he able to win? And how was he effectively able to wreck the executive branch with no consequences and make his party, the Republican Party, in the legislative branch look like a bunch of whimpering children, like lapdogs? He had a lot of powerful and pitiful enablers. Don't you remember Lindsey Graham doing his impression of a lapdog for four years, right? It was so pathetic. So how did we get here? And when I say here, I mean, have you ever wondered why government is always portrayed as dysfunctional? Why do we hear the phrase, nothing gets done in Washington over and over and over again? Why, for example, the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, aka Obamacare, is mostly hated, but its primary components are cherished by millions and a majority? Where and how all these conspiracy theories started? Why don't we have good access to health care? And why is education not funded properly? How about taxes? Did you ever wonder why the rich keep winning on taxes? And why is it that senators representing 10% of the population can block any major legislation that helps the other 90% of this country? It sounds outrageous, but it's true. If you're asking yourself these sorts of questions, this podcast is definitely for you. And there are plenty of answers out there, and a lot of great scholarly works address them, both conservative and liberal. But maybe you haven't read them or don't know about them because you don't have the time or would rather not spend your nights with a 500-page tome about, about the evolution of conservatism. I can probably name 50 amazing and knowledgeable researchers and academics who have studied this topic intensely for several years or even decades, but many of you probably have never heard of them and haven't read them. But if you have and you've read them, great, this podcast is still for you. Everything I say in this podcast and in my book is based on the work that these scholars have done, work that proves that our current moment is the result of a decades-long siege on American democracy and the American people, led by none other than congressional Republicans, Republican presidents, and their wealthy benefactors. I use these aforementioned scholars' work to create a podcast that is engaging and organized as a series of episodes designed to educate and entertain listeners. And I've devoted each episode to a different idea. And in each case, I frame it with my own outraged commentary, as you can tell. Citizen, I am very concerned. The havoc and destruction that's been wreaked upon our political system is enough to keep me up at night, and I'm sure some of you as well. And I know it sounds dramatic, but I can't sit idly by as our institutions, our democratic institutions, continue to be slammed and buckle under the weight of one party's greed 
and, and disdain for the very people that it claims to serve. The truth is, our system wasn't meant to cope with the Republican Party of the last 40 years. And everyone, you and I, need to be concerned about it. But I'm more than just a concerned citizen. I'm also a passionate political organizer. Come back to that in a second. I was raised in a political household. My mother, God rest her soul, was a fundraiser for the Democratic Party, most notably for Walter Mondale during his 1984 presidential run against Ronald Reagan. Despite him getting his ass kicked, he managed to raise a lot of money and was actually a quite popular guy. My stepfather also served as a lawyer on the Judiciary Committee during President Nixon's impeachment. Then he went to serve as President Clinton's White House counsel. Politics and the Washington experience more generally was the air that I breathed during my formative years. The first job I had out of college was in investment banking, and I worked in a similar finance capacity for the next eight years, including a two-year stint uh, full-time at business school. One year and a half, roughly, into my last banking job at Citi, I quit and I never looked back. Ultimately, the finance gigs and the field itself didn't really sit well with me. I was a privileged white guy, after all, benefiting from conservative economic policies at the expense of others, whom I believed deserved more from our system. So after Trump's election in 2016, I co-founded an organization called Fight for a Better America, which is a 501c4 dedicated to voter engagement and grassroots organizing. Fight for Better recruits volunteers and raises money to invest in key battleground districts and states throughout the U.S. with the goal of either flipping them blue from red or maintaining a Democratic incumbent. And we've been quite successful. Please check out our website uh, for more details at www.fightforbetter.org. Through my travels with the organization, I have made thousands of contacts with folks in local civic and democratic clubs throughout the country, primarily in California, Pennsylvania, New York, Florida, and New Jersey. And I've organized and trained hundreds of volunteers on the ground to canvas their neighborhoods and engage in their community. I've had thousands of conversations with voters and prospective volunteers about the issues that affect them most. It's been a rewarding experience. I think I've made a difference in the races that we've participated in, more broadly, our organization. Lastly, I, and crucially, I am also a teacher and a dean who understands the learning process. For the past eight years, I've been a school administrator and I've also been teaching high school at all grade levels, 9 through 12. I know just how difficult it can be to get ideas across. The way students consume and retain information can be nothing short of a minefield of problems. In that vein, people who are fairly new to political history are like the students in my classroom. They often need help engaging with the material. They need some sort of hand-holding, some humor, entertainment. They need visuals. They need passion and emotion. And so 
drawing on my skills as a teacher, I will provide all of that in this podcast. All the episodes are brief, roughly 20 to 25 minutes, and each breaks down the works of expert researchers and academics into entertaining and enjoyable chunks. This podcast is also intended for general listeners. It's for people who are not necessarily obsessed with politics and who may never even have considered themselves interested in politics, but who are now recognizing just how devious and destructive the Republican Party has been and want to do something about it. And in the end, I hope that it's for people who, after a fire has been lit under them by this podcast, perhaps, just might decide to get into the fight and do something. Significantly, you should walk away armed with critical information and be able to remember it. There is a key distinction between the two and that we as media consumers often fail to recognize. As I mentioned before, too often we listen to podcasts or radio shows and forget 95% of what we heard. It's only natural. We are busy. We have lives outside of politics. We listen to other podcasts. We consume lots of other data. Consequently, barely any of the media we are exposed to converts into long-term memory. It sort of sits temporarily in short-term memory and then drifts off into the nether regions or wherever. (laughs) As a teacher, I understand information retention very well. I know how much exposure someone should have to a topic in order to remember it and what the proper cadence and techniques are for internalizing it. Moreover, I am invested in you being able to access and retrieve the critical information about the GOP when you engage in political activities, whether that is volunteering for a campaign, persuading a new voter, debating someone in person or online, as I too often do when I'm supposed to be sleeping, making connections to current events, or just having a conversation about politics, because that's how we win elections, being informed and fluent in this stuff. It is not only important, but it also feels good too. That is why I intend to utilize learning techniques throughout this podcast so that you can better retain the information I will use strategies like active recall, review preview, elaboration, interleaving, spacing and mnemonic devices, among others. Don't worry, this is not AP US history. You aren't being graded on your effort or performance. These techniques play a small but critical part of this podcast. A little piece of advice, for example, did you know that A single simple quiz after reading a text or hearing an episode produces better learning and remembering than just rereading the text or re-listening to the podcast. Rereading as a review technique has three strikes against it. One, it is time-consuming. Two, it doesn't result in durable memory. And three, it often deludes you into believing that you understand the material because you sense you have a growing familiarity with the text or the episode, and it feels like you're mastering the content. Obviously, I'm not a magic memory wizard. Sorry to burst your bubble. I can't bestow on you superior recall or memory like a steel trap. 
But what I can do is make it easier and more enjoyable for you to engage with the information and then with an audience outside of the podcast. Again, I firmly believe this is what it's going to take to cart these facts and data around in our heads about how awful the Republican Party has become and how they have wreaked havoc on our democracy over the last 40 years. And then share that with whoever listens. Show people who need persuading. We have a duty to educate others. Our democracy is at stake, and I say that without reservation. Here's how I plan to structure the podcast in general. It may vary from episode to episode. But just like my book, I deliberately set up each episode with a what and a why, so that you always know from the outset of each episode what I'm talking about and why it matters. The general structure will be as follows. First, I'll review the previous episode. Two, I'll preview the new episode that you're about to hear. Then I'll discuss one topic for about five minutes. I'll switch over to another topic for five minutes. I'll come back to the first topic for five minutes and then discuss the second topic. This is a this is a technique called interleaving, and it's very effective in information retention. And then finally, at the end, I'll tie it all together with a review and active recall. More on that soon. More generally, I'll organize the podcast into a few themes. For one, I plan to discuss the far-reaching effects of conservatives' attitude towards government over the last 40-plus years and how it's considerably shaped our politics and way of life. Let's just say that their attitude has been one of antagonism. They absolutely hate government. They want to see it limp and ineffective like overcooked pasta. Better yet, as the prominent conservative activist with that really punchable face, Grover Norquist, said in 2012, they want to shrink government down to the size where they can, quote, drown it in a bathtub. Next, I'm going to talk about Republicans' really unhealthy obsession with private enterprise. I'm sure you have a relative or a friend in your life who blathers on about the saintly ethos of free markets and how they should never be trampled on, blah, 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 blah. But if you don't, consider yourself lucky. These ideologues believe that, first and foremost, there are actually such things as totally free markets and that there's nothing that the government should do about the ridiculous inequality in this country because, you know, that that would be socialism. To make matters clear... There are no such thing as free markets. These, there are rules that are made up by the people who create them. And second, the government should indeed play a role in protecting people's rights, alleviating poverty, and most importantly, ensuring capitalism works for all, not just the wealthy few. If we deny these truths, we will only make our predicament worse. And that is not good for anyone, including the rich. Beyond those two primary themes, I'll discuss all sorts of other engaging and enraging subjects, including how the GOP has been able to keep or come within a slim majority of votes in the House and Senate for so long because of their artificial electoral advantages, which are downright fascist, how congressional conservatives backed by endless amounts of corporate money have brazenly deployed alternative facts to wage wars on science, experts, and education, which are oftentimes at odds with their benefactors' interests, the oil industry, 
how during the last 70 years or so conspiracy theories, or as I like to call them, distractions for when congressional conservatives can't compete in the marketplace of ideas, almost always originate and flourish in Republican circles. I'll talk about how the GOP and conservative media have worked tirelessly to manufacture outrage and how they've weaponized a whole set of buzzwords like, as you know, socialism, cancel culture, radicalization, welfare queens, deficits, and on and on and on to hijack our attention and distract us from the important stuff. I'll also talk about how they accuse Democrats of engaging in the kinds of harmful behavior that they themselves are engaging in. And they are masters of projection. If it weren't so damn harmful to our country and democracy, it would be pretty fucking pathetic. Beyond that, I'll provide perspective on our current situation and where we're headed, how screwed is American democracy and society compared to other wealthy nations, how do we stack up against, say, Germany or Japan in terms of healthcare, voting rights, and food safety. As you'll see, we haven't caught up to our more advanced peers, but as I'll attempt to show, there is hope. I should note, very important, very importantly, that throughout this podcast, I do not absolve congressional Democrats of blame nor of past Democratic presidents. They have absolutely been part of the problem on a variety of issues. But the fact remains, they are a thousand times saner and more committed to the public good than Republicans are. And they don't, and they don't tend to collapse the economy or unilaterally start wars over commodities. I should also say that there are plenty of Republicans who don't approve of their party. And when I talk about Republicans in this podcast, I mean primarily members of Congress, the conservative media ecosystem, and a group of elite financial backers that support them. That's an important distinction, particularly for those conservative-leaning listeners out there. We probably agree on more issues than you do with your representatives. It is worth mentioning that corporate influence and money in politics are extremely damaging forces in society. For too long, we've allowed corporate interests and those representing them to cast government in a bad light. The philosopher John Dewey said, quote, as long as politics is the shadow cast on society by a big business, the attenuation of that shadow will not change the substance. Indeed, our government functions more like a shadow than an entity. Government is supposed to mitigate the harmful effects of private industry, not make them worse. Government is supposed to level the playing field for other people who are left behind, not make it less level. Government is supposed to help those who suffer needlessly and who do not have the private sources of assistance to turn to. And government is supposed to be progressive in its response to our changing, to our rapidly changing society. So why doesn't our government do that? Because beginning in earnest in the 1980s, the Republican Party has devoted itself to waging war on the government, where they've deployed a whole range of tactics to weaken public institutions and erode the public's trust in them. They've, in fact, committed themselves to breaking our government, then condemning its brokenness, and then claiming that they alone can fix the problems that they've created. It's quite the grift, isn't it? How they have gotten away with it for this long is 
how I plan to structure some of the episodes, in part, as I mentioned earlier, by developing a highly sophisticated propaganda machine to cover their asses. Remember, politics is a highly complex process with millions of moving parts and not a great deal of transparency. It's really easy to blame the other guy for something which you are entirely at fault. Nothing is ever clear-cut. With the right tools, it is possible to fool a lot of people, at least for a while. So let's try to make a dent in their effort, shall we? After 40 years of this irresponsibly destructive behavior, millions of us are now outraged by their behavior. What I'm trying to do here and what, and what you've seen from several journalists and academics is they've been exposed. And I hope to convince you that now's the time to do something about it. Only when enough of us recognize that Republicans are waging war on our democracy will, be, will we be able to rally a resistance, fight back, and reclaim our government. Okay, now, that was the end of the podcast, but I want you to pause the podcast and take three to four minutes for active recall, which means try to remember as much as you can about what you just heard. It doesn't have to be in order, just as much details as you can muster about the content, including supporting examples. By doing this, you are strengthening the connection to these facts so they will be easier to recall in the future. Time yourself. Don't give up. Even when you think you've topped out or being distracted and you're fidgety, just power through. Go ahead. And you should thank yourself for doing that. This podcast became that much more engaging for your mind. Now, let's review what we discussed. One, we discussed what this episode is about and how it's structured. A lot of the material is based on my upcoming book to be published on Memorial Day. Number two, how Trump and right-wing media and congressional Republicans have intentionally hijacked our attention in order to push through a wildly unpopular agenda. Remember, the examples how fascists love to have the attention on themselves to distract from their real purpose, which is power at all costs. And number three, what we can do to reclaim our focus, data-driven learning strategies so that we can retain more information and be more conscious of deliberate uh, and deliberate with our media choices, like what we did at the end of this podcast with active recall and reviewing. So I hope you enjoyed the first episode of Facts and Fury. Be sure to tune in for the next episode, which is coming soon. Be well, stay safe and healthy, and stay angry and passionate.